everybody. Welcome to the Let's Be Legendary podcast. Say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Wow. You walked right into that one. I'm not talking yeah. to either of you anymore. So this is a season one recap, sort of, where we talk to the DM about some of her thoughts and some of the things that she wanted to talk about about season one. We meant to do this at the end of last season, but we got bogged down with a couple other things. So we're doing it today. Yay. Yay. At the end of season two. We have another one coming for season two. Um, not that it isn't obvious or anything, but just FYI, spoilers. For both season one and two. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is your show, Molly. So. Uh, <laughs> All right. <not> produce. <laughs> Make it entertaining and also, also like punctuate. Call things. this like yes. let's be expository. <laughs> there you go. Yes. We'll so welcome to the first episode okay. episode of Let's, let's be, be Expository. Season one edition. Season one edition. Season one edition. All DM's right. Well, thoughts. Well, so you know, starting from the very beginning of season one, we have Death House and just what how does it, do? it does death. It, it does death. <laughs> <laughs> and how just this entire mess started with us being bored, mm-hmm. us being so bored, and, and just to play like, D so bad. And our regular group wasn't able to meet that week, and it was just like, "Hey, you have a thing. You I'd have like- an entire world, yeah, that you've been working on. That you have another group of people that you DM for that don't always show up or don't always do the thing, and we're like, that would be fun to plan. And you were like, Death House, Death House. I'll run you guys through Death House. I think it makes for a nice, fun one shot. Yeah, two one years sh- later. Oh man, shot. we are like uh, about two weeks away from our two-year anniversary of playing Fire Wild West. Yep. Let me see. Well, let me look at a calendar. Because I think it's about exactly two weeks. Two weeks about away from exactly two years two of just, hey, we're bored. That's a little less than two weeks. A so we're weeks. a little less than two weeks. Yep. Yeah. I think we played that game for like, what, two or three days straight? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it was, yeah, it was, well, it was more than a one shot. And thank the gods we recorded it. <laughs> Yeah, I remember it was just going to be like a fun extra. Yeah, from yeah. our regular game because we had plans. We'd already put in plans in place to make what was then our regular game into a podcast, and as many games do, that one fell apart. And so we were like, "Well, this could be like a Patreon thing." Yeah, it's a fun little Patreon with just a couple of them, and uh, blah blah blah. Then it turned into everything. Yeah. It- <laughs> I remember when the the other one was falling apart. Like we kind of all saw signs of it falling apart, but we were like, "No, we can make it work. Just as long as we meet like once a month, yeah, we could make it work." Yeah, and we figured that that would be a really good compromise. It just wasn't. It just didn't work it, out in the end. But yeah, we at that point we had considered maybe making this the main game. Yeah, and then the other one being like kind of a thing we do on the side as like a fun. Like that's more of a story for us, but in case anybody wants to listen to it, and yeah. then it just fell apart altogether. Which, but we already had this set up started, and it was yeah, it was really serendipitous that yeah. our boredom led to this project. <laughs> that brings us to the actual Death House, and I have run Death House a couple times for a couple different groups, and I love running it every single time. Okay. Isn't it like the beginning of Curse of Strahd? It is one of the options for the beginning of Curse of Strahd. There are a couple ways to begin it, and for if you're like a lower level group, because Curse of Strahd is supposed to be like three and above. 
And so it's like uh, Death House is like an area for you to level up the guys a little bit before mm-hmm. you uh, shove them directly into uh, Barovia and Ravenloft and all that. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I'm actually really glad we didn't end up like in Barovia. Oh, well, yeah. Just because there are so many games out there that are like that other are podcasts that are Strahd. also doing yeah, Curse oh, of Strahd. I'm sure, yeah. If we and, ever do play Curse of Strahd, I have one goal. I know. I have one goal. I'm going to fuck Strahd. I will help you with that goal. Thank you. You will definitely do it. I will. That's going to be my goal. <laughs> you can kill me afterwards as long as I die happy. <laughs> uh, no, I would actually like, I would like to run a Curse of Strahd game. Maybe that can point. be a Patreon thing. That could be a Patreon thing. That could be fun. Maybe. Uh, maybe. But Death House, Death House itself is so cool because I love how you can just literally pick it up and drop it into any setting. You have to change out some names. Uh, I usually remove Strahd completely from it because, like, you know that uh, that statue of Vecna that I had in the basement. That's, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that was supposed to be Strahd. That right? was supposed to be a statue of Strahd. There's supposed to be a letter from Strahd in the uh, the the trap chest, the already sprung trap chest. Right. That says, "Hello, welcome to my death house." No, no, it's not his death house. Welcome to a death house, not belonging to me. <laughs> it was basically. It was basically a letter from Strahd to the res uh, to the residents to the Dursts actually because that name is from ah. uh, to the Dursts saying like, "Hey, yeah, thanks for the sacrifices, but I don't fucking need you." <laughs> this is awkward, but uh, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Wow, rude. Yeah. That's so mean. Look at we went through all this trouble. What's that one TikTok? Thank you for the sacrifice. Yeah, thank you yeah. for the sacrifice, which I think you got, which I think was from a vine. So, other changes that I tend to make. This is actually something that I learned from my first DM when he ran me through Death House and sparked my love for it. Was giving the players things on low rolls. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, just right from the start. Talia rolls decently high. Celine rolls really low. Celine hears footsteps upstairs and didn't care. Well, no, it was it was it was it wasn't even that much. It was just like she heard footsteps. It's like oh, I hear footsteps. It's the kids. So like nothing really creepy happened, but it's just like she heard footsteps. Like oh, we assume it's the kids or something yeah. like that. But you know, Talia- as, as we keep going. <laughs> Uh, but I that I loved that just because going in, you guys had no idea, and the initial reaction from you was, well, "I rolled higher though," and I'm like, "Yeah, I know." Celine hears footsteps. <laughs> yes, yeah, some shady shit going on right there. Yeah, <laughs> not a fan. Can't say I'm a fan of that, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, as they say. I will say running it for a party of two was a bit of a challenge to not how so not to not kill you guys. Oh, 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 oh. I mean, yes, you almost did. I almost did. You got very close. Yeah, you had to nerf Elizabeth. I had to nerf that. I had to nerf Elizabeth like, yeah, mid fight Mm -hmm. (laughs) because she was supposed to do four D six on a normal strike, then if she attacked from the shadows, 
she did eight d six. <laughs> yeah, no, let's let's rein that in. So I, I mean, chopped that in half. I mean, that would be really good for a a that would be really good for like a party of four or five. Yeah, but for a party of two, would yeah, that would hurt a bit much. Yeah, yeah, it yeah it hurt a bit. So I'm glad you didn't kill us. I remember crying. Yeah, because I like you haven't stopped since. I I know I haven't. <laughs> But yeah, I remember like this was a one shot, so we weren't expecting to have anything to go for. But I think at one point while we were down there, you had mentioned it's like, you know what? I'm actually committed to this. So I'm going to give you like an item that would help you out later. Yeah. Which was the haversack sack. Yeah. The, the like, pouches. The, yeah. The, which were the, you know, the gun. Yeah. Uh, the holsters. And I was just like, that's really wow, we can actually do something with this game. And then the idea that we might die, I freaked out. Yeah. Like, I never had a character that I had gotten, like, really... Because we were RPing some pretty, like... Mm-hmm. Not intensely emotional, but we were playing off each other so well. Oh, yeah. And think, and we were moving so smoothly through this. And then the idea that we might die, it's like, I don't want to die. Yeah. Uh, so I appreciate you nerfing it. Yeah. Well, moving out of Death House, we uh, eventually got to Crankshaft and the Gardener. Mm, yes, my child. <laughs> now, so I'm going to bring in an interesting story from like what I will hear on referred to as the beta test of Fey Wild West, which was my uh, Toys R Us crew game. Because mm-hmm. you used to work at Toys R Us. Yes, because I used to work at Toys R Us. And uh, they they had a slightly different approach oh. to the whole situation. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they went in, mm-hmm. uh, they fought all the things, mm-hmm. and they deactivated the gardener. They actually used the key and realized, like, okay, this is a. They they did realize, like, okay, this is a living thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a sentient magical artifact type thing. So um, we can't give this back to Raven. We have to figure out where it's supposed to go. Right. So they got that. However, half of the party tried to sneak off with it while the other <laughs> half of the party... What they, are they going to do with it? Like, go try to figure out where it went. Oh, okay. Yeah. But then the other half went to go tell Raven and she got pissed. Yeah. I mean, knowing what I know about Raven, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So Raven was not about to let this go, so she hopped into her mech, which was fully operational. Her Gundam? Her Gundam. And there was a fight. She almost killed two of the players. However, the uh, dual-wielding tabaxi gunslinger of that group managed to clamber on top of the mech and uh, fire down into the cockpit, nearly killing her. Mm. Got her to surrender and say where the thing was supposed to go. So they they brought her and the and the thing back up to the garden. Mm-hmm. Anything anything interesting happen in that oh, garden? I'm getting I'm getting to that. Okay. <laughs> I, I just I don't know. I'm just asking. Oh, right, I'm yeah. just wondering uh-huh, if anything yeah. special or like interesting happened when they did that. Just just right, yeah. innocently. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, yes. Sure. Yeah, so don't look at me. <laughs> as we have seen from our players, mm-hmm. uh the gardener rests in the middle of the garden and uses like little stones kind of floating around to tend to the garden around it. Well, so they brought 
they brought it up there, woke it up, took the like, took the key out, and it was fine. It wasn't like super angry at them or anything. It was just happy to be. He was just happy to be back where he was supposed to be. Because because Quartz is chills as fuck. Yeah, mm-hmm. which we named him. Yeah, like that he wasn't that in the in the beta test. We named him Quartz. However, since they hadn't like convinced Raven that this is where he's supposed to be, she was kind of just like, "Look, see, it's harmless." And I, I know have, how to I control need, it. I need now. to have it. I need it. I like, need it back. I need it, and I know how to control it now. So I'm gonna take it back. Mm, no, you're not. And then they were just—they were like, "No, it's dangerous. You can't take it back." She's like, "I'm gonna take it back." So the cleric was like, "Look," and he stomped on a flower. Just. Oh no! Stomped, kicked, and tore it up. And what happened to that cleric? I asked him to make a dexterity saving throw. And how, did he, he had, and how did he do? All he had to beat was a 10. And how did he do? He rolled a 3 minus 1. Aww. So passes cleric of somebody. He was just thrown into red mist <laughs> as 12d12 damage oh. was thrown upon a level 3 cleric. Hmm. I had to borrow D12s <laughs> from the party. As each stone, as each of those stones does a D12 of damage. The dexterity save is very low. You know, it's a 10. It's considered easy by the uh, by the standards of D&D. Two. Okay. Well, I rolled a D twelve. You rolled a D. That was a D. It's a D twenty. That's a D twenty. No, it's a D. It's a. It's a. It's a D. It's a D twenty. No, it's a fifteen. Yay! I win. (laughs) Fifteen on a D twelve. Yeah, but I had to show that actions had consequences. When will you learn? When will you learn? And so the cleric was turned into red mist, and Raven was thoroughly convinced. was probably quite quite a convincing illustration of why Raven should back the fuck off. Yeah. Now, when we went up there, I just happened to threaten Raven on the way back down, which, yeah. you know, that was fine. So we had a slightly more compassionate approach yeah. to the whole, like, look, you wouldn't want to be a slave. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> kind of a thing. You know, that's kind of what you're doing to somebody taking them against their will and making them work and you know they're gonna rebel yeah so i i actually raven had become one of the npcs throughout this game that i got like weirdly protective over yeah and i think that translated kind of weirdly when i when i look back and review our audio and as i'm editing it talia got like really protective over her really fast mm-hmm. and I can justify it in my head why, mm-hmm. but I think that was mostly me. Yeah. Um, even though it worked out great. Yeah. Like, you know, great, you know, Tally considers her a friend, but she got like weirdly, weirdly fat. Like for me, like listening to the audio, it seems really fast, but in game it didn't feel very fast. Yeah. But maybe that, and that might have been because I had known about Raven beforehand. Yeah, I had told, told I had told you a bit, yeah. And, um, but yeah, Raven's one of my favorites. <laughs> I love Raven. So after Crankshaft, we move on to Castle Ridge. 
at the at the crossroads. Because mm-hmm. you had that was where you found the poster. Right. Yeah. 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 So. Castle Ridge was really the start of the main quest line for season one. That's right. I always tell people when they're listening, like, make it through the third arc, because the third arc is when stuff starts really ramping up. Yeah. The first two arcs are kind of a warm up. Yeah. Yeah. We were figuring out what we were doing, who these characters were. But season three... Yeah, that's when you start planting shit, too. Oh, the, the, the third arc. Third arc, excuse yeah. me. But the third arc is where you start planting shit. Yeah. I start planting shit like, you know, Zachariah's Wanted poster. Mm-hmm. And Zachariah had literally just been a discussion between you and me, like, it, a couple days like before. Like, the day before, because I was, like, thinking, okay, one of the, the tropes I really hate is that, like, the, the couple that's together, like, that's their only romantic experience on either of them. But that's a trope that's really prevalent in a lot of media. And I'm like, that is so fucking boring and really contrived and like, obviously very planned. So I'm like, okay, Celine probably had a boyfriend at the cathedral, probably. I should probably think up like, so I should, because at this point, one thing, because this was still just kind of a side project at this point, I think we had kind of decided it was going to be a bit more serious, but our backstories at that point weren't really fleshed out. No, we hadn't. We we had ideas, but we hadn't like any details narrowed down at all. Like, like you know that you that Talia's family had been killed. Yeah. I knew that Celine grew up in Blue Peak at yeah. the Cathedral of the Mother. Yeah. But really not much beyond that and just kind of really nothing concrete, really bare bones stuff. And so I was just kind of trying to fill out Celine's backstory. I'm like, she probably had a boyfriend and he should probably have a name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, yes, my boyfriend can't remember his name. <laughs> but we dated for like four years. <laughs> Wish I knew what he was called. <laughs> oh, well. And and uh, I remember you, we were talking in like the uh, messenger chat that we were all in and you were like, yeah, your boyfriend's gonna come about in the next area. I'm like, Cool. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. Like, yeah. okay. That, that, I didn't, okay, sure. We'll see how, I can't wait to see how this turns out. And uh, you had, like, forgotten that yeah. that was going to be a thing. And so in the, you listen to the recording when Celine, like, sees the poster and, like, like stops, that, like, reaction from me, like, Celine, hello, is, like, genuine. Like, wait, what? Yeah. I, I remember someone had mentioned, it's like, oh, yeah, she might mention her boyfriend in the next episode. I didn't know he was I didn't know he had a name. Yeah. I thought it was just gonna be a discussion. I so it's like, okay, we can we can work with that. You know, but then it turned into nope, not only does he have a name, he now has a history and apparently he's wanted. Yeah. It's like and um, the biggest bounty you guys had collected up that Yeah. Point. Oh, I was so excited. <laughs> no, that's like Tali was like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll go get answers five thousand gold. <laughs> Rubbing my hands together, it's like I'm gonna get Yeah, we should find out what yeah. happened to him. I can't wait to spend that money. Because <laughs> you know. at least Talia started out originally, I had this idea of her being like very <sighs> the good side the good type of chaotic neutral which is they're not an asshole necessarily they're definitely a prick but they're like they they have an agenda which is themselves it's like i i don't really want to get involved in whatever your bullshit is i'm here to get this thing i'm here for me i'm here for me which is the best way you know so i had this whole idea of her being the stereotype 
of the like the lone gunman, obviously with a plus one, but uh-huh. like the lone gunman. Lone gunman plus one. Yeah, a lone gunman is just like it's like I'm not here for your your drama. I'm not here for your politics. It's like I'm just here to bring in the bounty, you know, spit. Yeah, that's how I imagine. So this is around the time where I'm still like in that mode of just like yeah. Yeah, that's we should go see him. I'm gonna get that money. Yeah, <laughs> like she's very. Uh, she kind of never really loses that a no. little bit. Like she's very much. Did we get a reward? Yeah, <laughs> every now and then. Yeah. but it's it, it, it that yeah. She's very much in that mode at this at this particular time. How, however, Most please put it to yeah. Ching Sound yet. <laughs> right. Also, though, with Zachariah, I wanted to make sure that there was a bit more than just uh, you know go find him, kill him. Mm-hmm. So I made the bounty specifically alive. Mm-hmm. You'd have to catch him and bring him in alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which Talia was probably annoyed about. Like, can I just shoot him? <laughs> she was at that you time. You did shoot him, so. I did. It was funny. Yeah. <laughs> Something else happens in the third arc, if I remember correctly. There's yes. a couple of things. I know a lot of people, I think a couple of people on our Discord. By the way, if you're not on our Discord. Get on um, it. Seriously, we've got some great people yeah. on our Discord. And we've got some really fun discussions going on. But somebody on our Discord actually like mentions like, wait a fucking minute. I just, like, because they started re-listening to things. It's just like, Molly, you planted the Victoria Aggression thing. Yeah. At the same time you did with Zachariah. I did. That was the first time we heard about both. Yep. Yeah. And so. that brought it, like I said earlier, that that was bringing in the, like, the main arc for the main plot for mm-hmm. season one was mm-hmm. Victoria Gresham and her growlers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back on to Zachariah. <laughs> yeah. Back to Zachariah for a minute. I had this idea for him that, like, since he had been gone, like, from the cathedral and since Celine had left... He just turned into this very charismatic, very relaxed person that liked what he did, but also was always trying to have the least amount of bloodshed in whatever circumstance. It's just like, show up, wave a gun around, intimidate, mm-hmm. and just have people hand over everything, and nobody needs to get hurt. That didn't always work out for him, which is why the crew kind of helps with that whole mm-hmm. aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it probably worked well enough most of the time. Yeah, most of the time. Most, yeah, most of the time when, you know, the Reaper and the Wanderer in white aren't riding the trains. Oh, I shoot him. <laughs> That's what, isn't that where your your famous line first came about? That is the first time I just, I, cause, yeah. yeah. Ta- ta- again, Talia was very, like, done with everything. <laughs> and she, yeah. I mean, in in the grand scheme of things, that was the not smart thing for her to do because it's a train full of passengers, and she could have easily gotten any of them killed with that. Yeah, yeah but this is this is early Talia, where it's like, eh. That's yeah, so- early Talia is just like meh. <laughs> oh, I shoot it. But speaking of the train, yes. Yeah, speaking of the train, if I recall correctly, something else happened yes. on that train. Something that Chris and I had discussed before, something that they were very excited to have happen, was a little help in their revenge quest. Damn right. Which would actually go on and set up season two. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it does. Et cetera. Et cetera. Et cetera. (laughs) 
<laughs> the broker. Ah, uh, the broker. Oh, the broker. Now, no. the, uh, you go. Sorry, it's your, your show. Uh, the broker. <laughs> my show. My show. My show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just the moderator. Yeah. No, the the broker was like an original creation with Faye Wild West in general. In fact, like the two main thing, the the three, the three main. <laughs> The four. The four main. Five. Five. No, the three main things were the Undertaker, the Growlers, and the Broker. Interesting. Those were the three main things that were like uh, big touchstones for me as I was writing the Fae Wild West. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because it wasn't always Victoria aggression. It was um, Vance or something before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it was a di- it was a different name, it, and it was a dude. <laughs> well, yeah, I remember you asked me about that. Yeah, yeah, I did because I and I think just... and I think we had because when you met us, we kind of introduced you to the realm of critical thinking of media analysis and criti- critical thinking, and so like I made you watch a couple episodes of Feminist Frequency and like introduced you to the idea of tropes and cliches and things. And one thing we talked about was woman in the fridge. Yes. And how a lot of the time the woman in the fridge is your wife or daughter. Yep. And so. And so I had approached, I, I had asked like, okay, so this character idea is a man whose uh, wife and daughter have died and he's uh, trying to. Wah, wah, yeah, exactly. Wah, wah. So, yeah. So Vance became Victoria. But anyway, um, back to the broker. Back to the broker. Like I was saying, he was part of the original idea, and it was this idea of a fae, someone like that was kind of the whole point of Fae Wild West is mm-hmm. that uh, great name, by the way. Just <laughs> still, I think it was uh, was it Jake from the DM? Yeah, who yeah. was like Jake mad at you. Like how how dare how dare I be the one to come up? <laughs> Why with did that? I think of that? Which is a Why has no one thought of that? Is my I question. I don't know the because Faye I googled Wild it. Is... I googled it. Yeah. And like I scroll past us because we're the first thing that comes up, and like nothing. Yeah, nothing. You Not... get Feywild and you get West, and it's like this is such an obvious name, yeah. but it's so good. So you know, it's still good on you. But anyway, back yeah. to the broker. Back to the. <laughs> we'll get back. We'll get to him eventually. Yeah. He's only our favorite. So he was. Uh, he was originally designed uh, to be very similar to the gentleman with the thistle down hair from Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Yes. Yes. Who is the most interesting character? Yeah. Him and Childer, Childermass? Uh, uh, Childermass. Childermass, yeah. Yeah. He, those two, like everybody else is just like, (sighs) I like, I like Jonathan Strange. (laughs) He's okay, but everybody, like, (sighs) he gets really fun, like towards the end of it where he goes, he like, when he goes crazy? When he he starts taking crazy cat lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. juice. (laughs) Yeah. But just like, Uh, every like we watched the whole thing right like i think we watched it all together and then i watched it once with you yeah and then but it was like okay bring back the gentleman and bring back children mask because everybody else is a snore yeah wake me up when one of those two is on the screen <laughs> i'm gonna just nap through the rest of this but anyway uh, continue but yeah so well that, that was like one of my that was one of my favorite uh alternate history uh fantasy type stories and i really liked that idea and so i was trying to bring that kind of element uh and then i also saw disney's the princess and the frog and i really liked the aesthetic of the uh of the villain the villain dr facilier yeah dr facilier Facilier, that's right yep the villain i really like the the aesthetic of dr facilier as 
Overall, as Megzi is trying not to say, he was not a very threatening villain. He's so bad. Like, like I love his aesthetic and his demeanor and his attitude. And his song it slaps. It does. Fight, fight me. His song slaps. It's ruined though because the it I have I have a lot of thoughts about Princess and the okay, Frog. We're n- but we're not here to discuss it's, that right And it's now. a good thing because we'd be here all day. <laughs> but anyway, but, and, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be nice. I promised I'd be nice. Yes. I was told I'd get mac and cheese if I'd be nice. Okay, yeah. So there we go. So that attitude and aesthetic combined with the idea of this fairy gentleman just kind of like merged together. And wasn't Adrian Patterson also an inspiration? His face claim? Oh, no, that, like, you found that. No, you found that. Oh, I found that? You found that. I know, because Wait. you were telling me about it, and you're like, yeah, there's this character named the Broker, and he looks like this, and I was like, hello! No, I had found that, af- like, after I had come up with his general appearance. Gotcha, okay. Because, um, actually, what really inspired, like, his overall appearance was a mini that I found. Right, 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 right. Which was, we'll have to take pictures of. At, mm-hmm. I'll have to find it and take pictures of it. It's this... I just found it and I was like, this, this is the broker. <laughs> and it was, it was too perfect. Mm-hmm. However, actually bringing him into the world, there were kind of two different versions of him, the beta test version and what actually ended up in the game. Do tell. The beta test version was a lot less menacing. Ah. Uh. He was kind of like a, a beneficiary to the party. That's a strange notion. Yeah. <laughs> that is such a strange notion. Yeah. I kind of used him as like a deus ex machina kind of, uh, okay. of uh, tool to like help the party when they were super stuck in a situation. That is, or That is such a weird concept to me. There was also like a little bit of a flirting romance going on between him and the rogue of the, the tiefling rogue of the party. Mm-hmm. Did it work? I, it, we en- it ended before it could really go anywhere. Uh, okay. But at the same time, I knew I wanted to do more with him and have something else happen, which actually leads me to a character that didn't make it into the story at all, a character oh. that I cut for two reasons. A, he was unnecessary, and B, he had a name that was just basically the same name as another NPC with the stuck in front of it. The Raven. It was kind of like a Crowley-esque figure from from Supernatural. Okay. And he was kind of like a... He, he was like a demonic counterpart to the Broker, where they were both, like, competing uh, for territory, essentially. Hmm. That could be interesting. I wonder, I wonder what might happen with that. I don't know. What an interesting concept that is. I, I wonder... I wonder if if anything like that will come up. I wonder if like one of your players T- took inspiration. Took inspiration. I don't know. You never fucking give inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> Take a point of inspiration. Say, and, I be, and I will be giving myself one. Thank you very much. Um, so we've been hinting at just as a quick side note, we have been hinting that there is another series that we've been working on. It's in the process. The coronavirus, thank you, has, uh, or should I call it the beer? 
No, they don't care. To uh, podcasts don't care. But with the coronavirus, it's kind of slowed down because we can't get the other player that's supposed to be with us. But there's another game that we're playing that runs at the exact same time, like concurrent, concurrent as the Fey Wild West. So as Tally and Celine step into the Death House, two other characters are also starting there. Tell me, would this other show also have some kind of antagonistic force? It would. Hmm. And uh, hmm. you can, hmm. in fact, hear more about it as we get closer. Uh, but going to stroke my chin thoughtfully. Hmm. Yes. Wish so. I had a beard to think with. But anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about season one. Right. So back and to the broker. Yes. Well, yeah, the broker and the see, raven. The raven, who was this counterpart from uh, further south, who was kind of like working his way up north. And there was like this uh, this thing where he was going to be the like the main antagonist for the beta test party. However, given that we were like turning this into an actual podcast, I wanted to streamline a couple things. And also the broker just feels more fun when he's more threatening. Yeah, <laughs> he really does. Yeah. I can't imagine him just being kind of like a, hey, I'm here. I guess I'll help out. Celine would be like, fuck you. I don't need your help. I will do this by myself. Yeah. What's really interesting about the broker, actually, is when we were talking about it, it originally felt like the broker would have more to do with Talia because they had made the deal. That is, yeah. So when we were, when we had like kind of planned some of the stuff out as far as the backstory stuff, the broker had more like tied in with, with Talia. So when he started paying attention to Celine, I think everybody went, oh. And I do mean everybody. Like, yeah. Yeah, well, we were all very interested. It's like, oh, interesting. Which is actually funny. Cause so I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring this, this up. Uh, how even in the beta test, like there were almost elements that would, li- that sort of like pre-echoed Talia and Celine's story that foresh not foreshadowed, but they were they were like precursors. Precursors to Talia and Celine's story. There was a there was a gunslinger. He was uh, like a sharpshooter type gunslinger who came from a kind of uh, separated village, a kind of isolated village. Would you would you maybe call them a pack? No, not in his case. I would not call them a pack. Well, you could if it was somebody else. It, in a very particular circumstance. Mm. However, uh, his entire family was killed by the 42nd because the Venasi did not exist at uh, did not exist at this point. His entire like village was killed by the 42nd so Leroy Brown could buy it because there was like something mystical about the land. And- Interesting. I'm very being that Talia is a native person, I'm very glad that that was not the, yeah. the route we went cuz it's like ah Yes, massacring native people to kick them off their magic land. Yeah. That's not a good look. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. This, that's it. This ain't no. No. Now, I will say that his character had no ties to Native Americans yeah. or anything like that. It was very much a bunch of white people. Yeah. Um, however, he also made a deal with the broker to get Death's Whisper. Mm. Uh, and... Death's Whisper revealed to him some elements of uh, of how to get revenge. It was it was different uh, in several aspects, but those like same touchstones were there in his story. And 
Celine. He is. There was a uh, cafe, uh, like uh, Feywild sorcerer mm. in the party, fairy magic sorcerer in the party, who like kind of came into play a little bit later, and the broker did start kind of like paying a bit more attention to her, which. Mm was actually something that I wasn't quite sure what I was going for in that story. I just knew that the broker was interested. Now, did you have a clearer idea of what he was doing with Celine? Oh, much clearer. Okay. Yeah. Because at this point, we're still not really sure what he wants. Yeah. And I will say what he wants changes. Uh, <laughs> like, what he wanted, like, changes. You... It's not quite obvious in... I don't think it's obvious in the story because I transferred it well enough. But for me, like, the motivation I had for him ends up changing at some point in the story. Yeah, in a big way. In a big way. <laughs> in a better way. Yeah. And so him coming in and offering the deal to Talia was, as we had said, something that Chris and I had discussed a little bit beforehand. And I was not expecting... I mean, I, I know we had talked a little bit about Celine's reaction in advance, but I didn't expect how reticent she was going to be to it. What does reticent mean? It means like uh, against. Oh yeah, like she instantly like it was almost it was almost oh, instinctual. It was, it, was it was immediate where she was like no, and the way like we had talked a little bit about it. We had talked a little bit about how Celine was going to react to this, and mm -hmm. I knew she wasn't going to react favorably. Yeah. But one thing when we were talking about and trying to like kind of hash out these characters, this was like in the very, very, like this This was in the very beginning, uh, like pre-Death House, but trying to figure out exactly what Celine was. And originally I was going to have her be human, but then we talked about her origins a little bit as a character and we'll get into that later in this discussion. But like, yeah, I think she's actually part fairy. And you were like, interesting, summer or winter? And I was like, is autumn an option? And you were like, oh, you and the broker are going to get along famously. Yeah. And immediately Selena in my head was like, no. Yeah. And so I was playing it that she could sense a lot more from him than what Talia might be getting. Like Talia can get like sense off of him. Like she can get off of basically everything. But Celine had this kind of deeper sense of like, this person is very powerful and very dangerous and I want nothing to do with him. Yeah. And at the same time, like, Maybe also, not even recognizing that's what she was feeling. She's just... Also very drawn to him, which is like something that you actually mentioned, is that you're very attracted to this person. And, I, and, and me, Celine being the control freak she was, was like, mm -mm, yeah. no, I don't like that. And I believe we had actually discussed that previously, because normally mm -hmm. that's not something I like to do. Yeah. Is say, like, you are, try like, then force relationships yeah. or anything like that. But I think... Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's something we had discussed beforehand. I think so, too. And... And so, like, that was where Celine's head was, was that this is a person that I can tell is very powerful and kind of shady. And also, I'm very drawn to him. I don't like that. And he's sniffing around my woman, not in a sexual way, but like, th this is this is not going to end good. This is not going to end well. And so she was like, mm -mm, nope, nope, nope. I really liked that, though, because it like there was no real warning for that. It was just all of a sudden, here's something that Talia has been. It was actually a point of contention for them, um, mm -hmm. where it's like, I told you exactly what I was going to do with this person. You knew. And it was only when it came to the end or when it came to it 
that you were like, you got really upset. It's like, you know, you knew from the get-go. So it was this uh, completely out of left field how she reacted, but it worked really well for what it sets up. Mm -hmm. And from Celine's point of view, I think in the time that Celine and Talia have been together, like that that previous year that, that happens before Death House, like, yes, Talia has talked about looking for the broker and stuff. And Celine probably was hearing that and be like, yeah, that's a thing that exists. That's a real thing. Sure, yeah, we'll find him, honey. That's never gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. That's, <laughs> that's not a real thing. And then... And then he shows up. No, and then Raven talks about him. Oh, yeah. And Celine kind of panics. And I think that's why she freaked out at Raven so bad. was like, shit. He's real. Yeah. And he's around. Yeah. And I don't like this already. Yeah. And so immediately, Celine had this kind of, she has this, I don't want to say she has like extra sensory powers because she doesn't, but she can read senses of foreboding pretty well. And she yeah. had this very, very strong sense of foreboding. And so she was, that's why she freaked out at Raven so bad. Yeah. I, I always attributed that to her background, which is the haunted one. Like mm -hmm. there was this like weird sense of foreboding with her that she could just kind of like, there were some things that she could tell was not going to end well. She can sense the turning of the tide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we actually, you only use that a few times. Mm hmm and the times you do use it, stuff does end up happening. Mm -hmm. I think the only thing that you were, that you didn't actually say like, this is going to end up badly, but I think you were sure was going to end up badly was Death Whisper. Mm -hmm. And I think, but you never actually said, I can sense something is going to horribly happen with this. Mm -hmm. That never happened. No. But, um, you were definitely because freaked never, out. It, and it's never that overt. Yeah. But with, but with the broker, it was like, all of these things things are happening at once and I'm completely out of control. Mm -hmm. And the part on the train is still has one of my favorite images of Celine going, like you talk about imagery, is after Talia makes the deal, Celine sits in the compart their compartment in the train by the window, her knees drawn up to her chest with Cortez in her lap with her hood up, trying to make herself smaller. And I still really love that image in my head because it says so much about Celine and where her head was at mm -hmm. and good imagery. Yeah. So jumping ahead to uh, Poison on the River, uh, the whole ferry boat situation. This was just originally supposed to be a way for them to just travel north and kind of relax. But then I was just like, oh, I want something to happen. I think uh, I think a couple old flames of Talia are going to because we had just gotten done with Zachariah. Yeah. So like a couple old flames of Talia are going to like be on this boat. Provide some narrative symmetry. Yeah. <laughs> and that I did a dumb. Yes. And do you want to explain what the dumb was? I reused a name, uh, a very particular name mm -hmm. uh, that Zachariah had mentioned only a few sessions previously. Mm-hmm. Delilah. And if I remember correctly, I'm the one that pointed it out. Yeah. Well, what was really funny is that you were like, I've heard that name somewhere before, and we're like really serious about it. And I was just like, because yeah. immediately the minute she's like, my name's Delilah, I'm like, oh shit. And then like, yeah, as soon as you said something about it, I was just like, shit, 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 where did I? Oh, oh, I did that. New plan. New plan. <laughs> <laughs> this really speaks to your DMing style, though, because. You had something completely different plan for Delilah, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> or the, the woman who came to be known as Delilah. Yeah. And I'll, like, 
in an instant, you had to come up with something completely new. I remember, maybe it was just the way it, it's edited because I can only remember the edited version, but it was almost, it like, cause she even said, it's just like, cause I have heard that name before. It's the second time I've heard it this like, week. That is the second time I've heard it this week. I remember you like, it was a split second of, make a constitution saving throw or something like that. Like you mentioned almost like, no, she there was a beat of silence. She I need you to make a concept. Yeah, that's right. I yeah. need you to make a concept. It was a split second. Like I didn't know, like I had no fucking idea that you even had like a moment of, uh oh. <laughs> well, and you, I remember, um, cause that, yeah, the, that's the edited version, but you had specifically said something about it before that, because it, it wasn't quite that, that split second it was it was pretty close to a, a split second but you had said something previously about hearing that name before not dr- no nope. no nope. oh because no. she, introduce, she introduces herself on deck right and then you make the constitution saving throw mm-hmm. okay yeah she's like you know delight it's like that is the second time i've heard that name before and, and you go oh yeah that, i go yeah. oh and it was in that moment no, then yeah, you yeah, were like right. i need you to make a con save yeah like it was very fast. Yeah. Like, so kudos. <laughs> okay, I, but this, I had no idea. But like I was saying, this speaks to your DMing style of just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks and improvising, improvising on the spot, which I think a lot of DMs, or at least a lot of DMs that I've interacted with are really nervous about. And so it's refreshing to have someone be like, let's see what happens. Yeah. And part of it just comes down to just bullshitting mm-hmm. so hard <laughs> through through <laughs> through entire sessions <laughs> just like yeah okay this is i have no idea what um make a con save make a yeah <laughs> roll me i feel like it roll me a d20 well yeah. just do it I think I've only experienced, uh, we won't get into it because it's much further later, but I've only experienced one time where you were literally like throwing things at the wall and nothing was sticking. And there was just one instance of that, that we literally had to redo the whole thing. But other than that, your, your DMing style really lends very well to, you know, just you know, you let us go. It's like, okay, what are you guys doing? And we have plans. Like when we come in, it's like, okay, I got to talk to this person. I got to go with this. I got to go with that. And from there, like you kind of craft things around that. It's like, okay, if they're doing that, well, I'm going to blow this up, you know, (laughs) kind of an idea. It it works really well. This is what you're paying attention to. And this is what is going on over here while you're paying attention to this. Yeah. And there's always like five different things going on in my head as to what's happening somewhere else. Right. But that gives you a lot of time to drop hints like you did in the Red Tree Gang arc with Victoria Gresham. Yeah. Because we weren't even thinking about that. No. I wasn't even, yeah, you, you, you showed me a poster of 5,000 gold pieces. Also, there's a missing person. Oh, well. There's a missing person. There's also some bandits up north. Both were relevant. <laughs> Poor woman who went up north didn't come back. Yeah. It's like, oh, darn. Mm. Oh, dommage. Anyway, 5,000. <laughs> no, no, no. That wasn't even that. There was... Oh, no, no. It was. Yeah, it was. Because you, you guys came out of the inn to find the, the guy, uh, the yeah, guy putting, putting the notice back up. And it was just like, got to put a new one because the woman who went up uh, who went up north with uh, never her... Never came back. Yeah, never mm. came back. What a tragedy. <laughs> Uh, but anyway so poison on the river uh 
and Delilah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of changed a lot because, again, it was just kind of meant to be just... Like, once I decided it was a thing, it was just going to be kind of a one-off thing. I expected you guys to resolve the situation. Delilah would either die or go to prison. And we let her go. <laughs> you guys let her go. Well, it's interesting because uh, in the Red Tree Gang arc, um, Talia actually, that is the instant that Talia starts changing. Yeah. It, yeah. It kind and, of or I should say the end of it where he, he hangs. It was like kind of at that moment, because up until that point, Tally was literally just drops them off. Most of the time she goes after people that are just dead. Yeah. You know, you kill them and then drop them off and then that's the end of it. And this is one of the first times that she had to bring in somebody alive that wasn't a rescue. Yeah. So she got to see firsthand that literally he had no trial. None. Like it was all very like, like this was all ego. Yeah. So it's, and she watched the whole thing. With Celine, Celine obviously was like up ahead, but it was, I think it was that moment that Talia actually started shifting her perspective on things. Like, maybe I need to start thinking harder about who I'm bringing in and why. So when Delilah came after us, it was a very like, I don't really want to turn this person in. Because I think we, it was a hinted at that Delilah had an abusive relationship with her husband. Yeah. So we, it was never really, it, it's never very explicit, even now, you know, however many seasons in. We're like, what, on season six recording? We are recording season six right now. Yeah. yeah. So even now, we still only have a very small hint of the bullshit that Delilah had to go through. And Talia, like that, and normally Talia would have been like, you know what? Fucking kill her and turn her in. Yeah. But as soon as they found out she didn't really have a bounty on her, the incentive went away and then she had to like sit there and think it's like am i doing this because i'm petty or what and even though they had a legitimate reason this woman tried to kill them yeah there was something about her that talia didn't think that she could do it and i think that's a really it was it was an interesting character move because my first reaction was blow her uh, (laughs) like blow her off the side i don't care but that's when I started getting into Talia's head, really. It's like, no, I don't think she would. Yeah. This doesn't, doesn't seem like the type of... This doesn't seem like a good idea. And, yeah. So that was interesting for us. And that led to some... Not only did we not keep her gun. Yeah. We let her go. Yeah. No consequences for trying to kill us. Yeah. She had to swim to, so- swim to shore. But yeah. We, she, she did have to swim to shore. But, you know, hopefully she knew how to swim. Yeah. But, if not, then she shouldn't have fucking gone on a riverboat where she could have gotten thrown overboard for trying to kill somebody. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, that set up Delilah possibly coming back. Yeah. Which, very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. My thinking face again. Hmm. Yeah. So, now moving further north to the Church of the Mother, mm-hmm. the Day of the Mother, that whole... I have, situation. Some, I have some thoughts about that situation. But oh, do you? Oh, no, oh, I have I, a few. I, I, know, I know at least one of them, and you are right <laughs> that Natural 20 should have clued you to the bomb. <laughs> I well, she headed you that. off immediately. I you didn't know. even get to yell at her. I know. In I front was, of everyone. I was, I was ready to... I was. There was a part... It, it's really funny because um, we all have ADHD, and we all miss some things in the moment, and it's really difficult in the moment 
especially when you're playing with a bunch of other people that don't really accommodate the ADHD part. Like if we miss something, we're pretty good about telling each other, "Hey, you missed this." Uh-huh. Or it's it's also a thing of like, "I missed this. Can we go back and redo it?" Yeah. Yeah. We're pretty good about that, especially cuz this is a recording and we can fix it. Yeah. Well, uh, rather, we are good about it now. Now. We had to learn. We had to learn. So when I was editing this, I had missed the fact that I had rolled a nat 20. And in our games, not in all games, but in our games, a nat 20 is not necessarily a like automatic, you get it, but you get really, fu- like it's more or less, depending on the DC, you're probably gonna get it. Yeah. Um, and, depending fun- on, and depending on what you're rolling for. Yeah. And it's fun to play that way, um, in my opinion. And I'm, I'm the type of DM who it's like, if you roll a critical fail, I'm on a skill check, I'm probably something funny is probably gonna happen. Yeah. Which I like, is, which is fun too. I yeah. like that shit. However, in this particular instance, when I was editing the thing, I remember hearing that I rolled a nat 20 and Molly going, you, you're, you're so close to getting it or something along those lines. I stood up from my editing desk, went into her room and said, I rolled a nat 20 to find those fucking bombs yep. and you didn't give it to me. And she's just like, yeah, sorry. I had a really specific idea of how this was gonna go down. Choo choo. And I'm like, yeah. I'm gonna so. Yeah, yeah, that's like. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, to be fair though, in Molly's defense, um, this was early on when we were trying to figure out how we were gonna do this whole podcast story game thing. Because while this is a game and a lot of the stuff is left up to chance and dice rolls, we're very aware, we've said this before, that this is a story. Yeah. This is entertainment. So nowadays, if we had done that with all of our knowledge, Molly would have said, roll low. Yeah. Off camera to me. Mm-hmm. Because she has a very specific idea of how this particular part was going to go down. And me getting a high roll on that was going to ruin the surprise that she had planned and would be far more cinematic than me realizing where the bombs were. It's like, oh, I found, ladies and gentlemen, I need you to all remove yourselves from this area, make sure nothing bad happens. Mm-hmm. You know, or quietly get everybody out, you know, yeah. ruin the whole thing. You know, that's not as fun. It's not as cinematic. Yeah. We don't do that as often, but there are certain times where like maybe Celine wants to do a really cool thing. Um, one of the NPCs want to do a really cool thing. Tally wants to do a really cool thing. And then we kind of like whisper to each other. It's like, roll low. Yeah. Or roll high or something. Make it good. Make, Make it, it good. Yeah. Make it a good roll. You yeah. Know? That doesn't happen often, but every so often it's like. So yeah, okay, I'll stop giving you shit for that. I've okay. got another one I'm gonna give you shit for. What are oh. your thoughts? What are your thoughts on Day of the yes, Mother? Yes, I'd much rather know your thoughts on Day of the Mother. <laughs> Please inform us. Well, so specifically, Day of the Mother was also the fight with Jenny and John Zinn, mm. <laughs> which was another thing that actually happened in the beta test. Ah. Uh, not specifically Day of the Mother, though. It was more of kind of like a open city chase uh, for the original, for the beta test crew. Oh, okay. Um, they were, like, chasing uh, John down alleyways as he was, like, dropping uh, traps for them. He, he was, like, dropping traps and quickly, like, turning and firing and running while Jenny was, like, swooping in from above rooftops with her with her Gatling gun. <laughs> and it, it was, yeah, it, it Got interesting, especially since in that is 
in that instance, they were supposed to get away to fight another day. I had to give them three times as many hit points <laughs> for them to survive the party. <laughs> Did they get away? Yeah. <laughs> mostly because I forced it. Ah. <laughs> rails. <laughs> the theme here is choo -choo. there were some rails in this part of the game. <laughs> um, Sometimes those rails can be fun. Yes. So the other things that happened in uh, Church of the Mother is that I learned... I, would, I didn't so much learn because I already knew, but I was reminded how I need to be more descriptive about things because there were some clues that I thought I had dropped that were uh, kind of obscure or not obscure, but they just, they weren't clue. They weren't enough of a clue. It was just like I dropped a thing, but it wasn't connected. Like I didn't connect it to anything. Like what? Well, I think it's the, the other point of contention I had with that arc is that we were dancing yeah. and you looked and we looked over at uh Sister Mabel. Sister, Sister Mabel, Mabel and she held up a glass at us and I was we're just, just thinking like, it's like hey, hey yeah. yeah hey and then later we learned she was drinking and we're okay. like okay and then you're like the church of the mother they don't drink. Yeah. And we're like... That would have been a good thing to know. Yeah, exactly. We would exactly. have loved to have known that it's that was a thing. No, exactly. That, that's, that, that was <laughs> one of the specific things I was referring because to. Because me, being a god-tier role player, I do not apply the uh, standards of the real world to anything that has not been made explicit in this world. Ah, yes. Well, that was, the normalcies of this world, rather. That, that, that arc was an interesting arc because... There were a lot of things that were like learning moments. There are there are a couple of arcs where there's some significant learning moments, and this was definitely one of them. Mm -hmm. um, one of them was actually for our storytelling, as far as releasing the podcast, which was after we we've mentioned many 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 times that we record far in advance. Yeah. So the stuff that like you'll start hearing about the coronavirus in season six which will be out in a couple of years yeah this you know that's how far in advance that we're going you know we're two years into the podcast and we've only released two seasons we have seven planned yeah so at the time we had recorded that it was not it, like it was it was fine when we, we were we were thinking very clearly. It's like, oh, it's going to be a fun, like, you know, fun fight. And, and yeah. it was it was a really fun fight. Listening to it afterwards. However, when we listened to it afterwards, a church had just been attacked by yeah. a, by a terrorist in the United States. And that was a big kind of wake up call that we needed to be very we are aware. Oh, yeah, we are set in an American style of this world. Yeah. It's not, West is very American. Yeah, that's a very American setting. Even though we're not in America, nothing is really attributed to America. You, When you hear the Wild West, that's what you feel like. So we had to be very careful about yes. what we were putting, what content we were putting out. And so I remember when we were originally playing talia was still in her like i don't really care about the rest of the world sort of attitude so when T molly was describing you know it's like oh a bunch of people over there just got killed 
Talia would make these really flippant comments. And I think I, I think I was too, because it was just like, you stupid people. Yeah, like, it's like, oh, these yeah. idiots. Like, what are you doing? You know, because, because it was just a bunch of, it was just and, a bunch of like cannon fodder. And then we were also just kind of all caught up in that, in the moment of that. Yeah, like, like oh, these idiots. Anyway, this is my next move and I'm going to get them. You yeah. know, it was more, we were fighting that we were fighting, you know, it, it 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 didn't feel like a video game, but we were almost treating it like a video game. And I actually have a lot of, I have a problem with people who do that when it comes to D&D. Because D&D doesn't, isn't a video game. And we were almost treating it like one. And it wasn't until afterwards when we were editing it, when it was just like, oh my goodness, this is bad. And it was from there that we started becoming extremely aware of what we were saying why we were saying certain things and yeah this this arc was definitely one of those learning yeah. arcs for all of us and there have been a lot of times like in the editing room when i'm kind of backseat editing where there'll be a line and i'm like you should cut that line and you'll yeah. be like why and i'm like because and i'll go through this kind of because it's com- it could be compared to such and such thing and there's never ever, there's never a question of yeah but that doesn't matter it's always like yes you're right let's take it out yeah, and we've had discussions later on. We have some things and we have to weigh the pros and cons. Like, do we mention this? Do we not mention this? And we always talk about it. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, this this was one of those arcs that we had to become extremely aware of what we were doing. And thankfully it happened early on. So we're not like, you know, three seasons in and just starting to take this kind of shit into account. Yeah. Yeah, like I'll listen to podcasts Um where, you know, when, as I'm trying to network and listen to other people's podcasts, they'll just throw out, they'll just throw out misogynistic comments. Ableist. Ableist comments. That's a big one is yeah. the ableist comments. I mean, we still, like, every now and then, or not every now and then, I still say stupid. Yeah, a stupid lot. idiot, those those ones, but, like... But, like, you know, we'll have people say stuff about autism, we'll people say stuff, it's... It's bad. So, like, the fact that, like, this was one of those arcs that we were very, very aware of what we were putting out. And we've, I think we've managed to be okay about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying we're we're amazing. We're not perfect. We're but... amazing. I'm going to say it. <laughs> we're amazing. We're not perfect. We're pretty amazing, though. <laughs> I mean, we. you could say we are legendary. Legendary! <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Uh, well, that, that is kind of... What I, that is kind of what I wanted to cover, though, with uh, discussing Blue Peak and the Church of the Mother was mm-hmm. mistakes that were made and, uh, you know, learning points. So moving on. Well, uh, not quite moving on. Uh, that's also where we got to meet one of my favorite characters. Jareth. Jareth. Oh. Uh, he's continues to be my boy, my my favorite character, <laughs> my favorite Jareth. NPC. I love Jareth. I just I fucking adore him. Tell us a little bit about what you were thinking with Jareth. Well, so initially, like, I just kind of wanted somebody to be at the Church of the Mother to kind of be carrying on Celine's to, to, to My be, legacy. Uh, yeah, carrying on Celine's <laughs> legacy of being a being a troublemaker and a trickster. Ah. To show Celine, like, yes. Uh, Your hard work is being continued. Yes, exactly. In terrorizing Sister Mabel. <laughs> trying to make her change different colors. <laughs> and and then and then there was just a moment where it was just like, he's going to ask. He, like, and he did. He, he's going to, he, he asked if he could come with you guys. And, uh, uh, 
What did you expect when you threw that out? Honestly, I figured it was 50-50. When, when I threw that out, I was like, they could. I don't know if they will, but they could. Or they could let him down easy. <laughs> we did let him down easy. But. 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 I remember, actually, like, immediately after the, the fight, Talia, her, like, as soon as they, like, got the um, the scene under control, her first thought was. The kids. Specifically Jareth. Oh, yeah. Her, her first thought was, I hope he didn't try and sneak in to watch. Yeah. So Because we had told him not to. Yeah. Yeah. Because Celine, being that she was at one point at the Church of the Mother, she snuck into the Mother's Ball a couple of times. Yeah. So her first thought was, I need to check on this kid. And her, now my internal monologue of like, because I've got my thoughts and I've got Talia's thoughts and I'm pretty good about keeping those thoughts. But her internal monologue was, I need to go check on my kid. And at that point, I think Megzi and I had had a discussion. We were driving back from Target and you were like, I think we should adopt him. And I'm like, I think you're right. I don't know how we're going to do it. But, but we, I, we should adopt him. Well, we had the idea that we like would keep him there, but uh-huh. he would basically have a family. And I, we didn't really like that option, but we didn't know any other option because we're dumb. Uh-huh. Or not dumb, but we were like, we're like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, so, so maybe we can just sponsor him or something. Yeah, like that's what we were thinking. But then Molly presented us with another option, which was like, e- like epically better. Yeah, like, I don't know why one, yeah. we didn't think of that, but like... Because it's like, there's an another... I didn't know there was a school up there. Yeah, there's a boarding, there's a boarding school, yeah. Hell, why not? Like, that was a great idea. Yeah. And, yeah, it worked out great. And I I don't think of all the, the decisions that we've made, I, we don't regret many of them, but this one was definitely not one that we regretted at all. Like, Jareth has mm-hmm. been... Jareth has been great. Like, again, six seasons in, so I can't go into too much detail. But Jareth has been amazing period yeah and i continue i I really i find it really funny that you named him jareth too because at that point you hadn't seen labyrinth i hadn't i was aware of it though well yes obviously you live on the internet you have (laughs) (laughs) but you hadn't seen it and i was like we're gonna have to watch it now yeah (laughs) but also in all of that we get another important character talden Oh, okay. I wasn't. Uh, yes, we get Talden. That wasn't the one I was talking about. Never mind. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Try that again. We get another important character. The wheezy ass. <laughs> that no. is it. The wheezy ass is a treasure. Talia's gonna buy that thing. <laughs> the wheezy ass is also from uh, beta. From the beta game. I would like to uh, draw all of your attention to the music because <laughs> we found that, and I was just like, "Excuse oh me, my who God. found that?" You did you? I did because you were like, I don't know what I want. I want like, <laughs> and I was like, kazoos. That's right. I was trying to find like a, a like a derpy sound. She's yeah. just like, she's like kazoos, and then she typed in like something with kazoos, and that came up. And like, I hope you like that music. It's going on bloopers. Yep. <laughs> um. So who is the other aside from Talden and the wheezy ass? Death Whisper. Ah, though that's yes. more homecoming. That is true, but it's where we first encounter Death Whisper. Do we want to talk about Talden first? Speaking of Talden, though, I will say we all got their pronouns wrong all so the damn time. time. All the time, I felt so bad. Uh, that's just. 
I mean, we cover it up kind of well with editing. I don't think you know just how much we fucking struggled <laughs> with Talden's pronouns, which pronouns. is funny because what, because Chris is non-binary and uses they them pronouns. And I never struggle with your pronouns. Uh, I struggle with my pronouns. <laughs> but for some reason, I could not fucking get Talden. And then a later, a much later character as well. I kind of had the same problem. Yeah. So. Sarian? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple, actually. And then there's another one in an in a upcoming game that also, all of us are just like, he, they. They. It's like, God damn it. I feel like he, he <laughs> I feel like they also do that, though. I think they feel like. <laughs> <laughs> all right, where were we? Uh, we were talking about Death Whisper. Whisper. Mm-hmm. And how he was also in the, in the beta game. Although he was, he stayed a rifle the entire time. Oh, how boring. Yeah, well, the, the gunslinger... Well, I had two gunslingers in that game. One that was dual-wielding pistols, and the one with the backstory uh, was like a sniper focus. Mm. And rifle it was, and uh, I'm glad that it was able to change to a pistol. In, yeah, it works out game. better. If I recall correctly, that was kind of one of the initial things with like wanting to play this game with us was like the concept of de- of Talia getting Death Whisper. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Death Whisper and the Broker, both like those those two things. Plus Talia was like a huge draw for me specifically. Because mm-hmm. I came up with like the idea of a gunslinger first, and then you were like. Or you wanted to play a gunslinger, and then I'm like, we should do Talia and Selene, mm-hmm. and and Talia fit more with the gunslinger, mm-hmm. and Selene was just like, ooh, a death god, mm-hmm. and well, we'll get into that in a, when at the end when we're that's true, yeah. Oh, so moving on from Blue Peak, we get to Selene's home, homecoming, which. I admit, going into it, I didn't have much of an idea what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what kind of kicked off everything, like at least the narrative part, was Talia making your pact with Death's Whisper, and Celine again not taking it very well. Yeah, because this was the second major decision in weeks mm-hmm. that Talia had made without Celine. Yeah. I mean, one of them was like com- like completely ignoring Celine and her concern, and then the other one, Death Whisper, was just not didn't even consult her. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that, Chris? That was um, well. I mean, as far as Talia is concerned, as for at where her mind frame was, she told Celine she kind of she kind of stuck with this for a really for a a long time. She's still with this as of right now. She told Celine her intentions about making a deal with the broker. You know, so Celine had very had like fair warning as yeah. far as Talia is concerned. As far as the guns concerned, that was more of like spur of the moment thing of like this is what he led me to find, so this is what I need. So yeah, ergo, this kind of like goes in the same bracket for her. Uh-huh. You know. And part of it is she she feels a little bad that she didn't at least talk to Celine about it. But another part of her is also like Celine would have just conned me out of it or tried to con Ooh. me out of it. And it would be more of a fight because Tally wasn't going to back down about it. 
So it was one of the. So it's one of those tricky <laughs> situations. It's like Ask Talia's, forgiveness instead of permission. Talia basically comes off as the asshole in this situation. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, that was intentional. Yeah, like it wasn't. You know, I I don't like playing characters that don't have faults. Mm-hmm. Talia, don't make mistakes. And don't make mistakes. Talia is extremely impulsive. You know, she does grow up a little bit as far as that goes as stakes get higher. Which we are we already have seen a little bit of it in season two. Yeah. But we'll it, get into that when we talk about season two. Yeah. You start you start getting hints of that. But up until that point, she really hasn't had to take a lot of responsibility yeah. for things that matter as far as like she has had one singular goal, which is, you know, get her justice and revenge and make money. And they, these are very, very simple things in her head. Mm-hmm. So making grand decisions that affect other people is kind of new to her. She's been on her own since she was 11. 11. And she's only had to worry about one other, one person herself. And her horse. And her horse for 19, 19 years. years. Yeah. We say that all this, this whole fucking game. Yeah. yeah. 19 years. She's only had to worry about herself. Yeah. So... I'm not excusing her actions by any means. They were shitty. Yeah. Um, But I felt like that's what... It goes back to that horrible phrase that lots of PCs say, which is, it's what my character would do. But we've said from the beginning that this is the kind of love story we want to tell, is that it's not necessarily falling in love and then living happily ever after. It's now we've fallen in love now we have to learn to be with each other yeah. and grow with each other, which is a thing that is so rarely romanticized in media. And yeah. so we wanted to, to take this opportunity to romanticize that part of being in a relationship because yeah. a lot of the, the cultural narratives around relationships are once the honeymoon phase is over, it's all downhill. And it's like... Or there is no downhill. It's just gumdrops and roses until the end of forever. And being... How that, uh, let's see, Chris and I will have, by the time this is released, been together for 14 years. Yeah. And so we've been through a lot of the same things. And was like, it was, it's been a great experience. And we've learned so much about each other while going through the same sort of growth. And it, it's always kind of disappointing to see, like, oh, the spark is gone. It's like, so? I never understood that phrase. Like, yeah. the spark is gone. It's like, okay, yeah, the excited, bubbly, like, I need them to always be near me and touching and blah, blah, blah. That's gone. But, like, other things take its place. And honestly, yeah. a lot of it is just code for sex isn't novel anymore. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, as far as Talia, her bad decision making and lack of uh, consideration, that was on purpose. Mm-hmm. Because that's basically where her mind frame was at, and which is which is which again, but that really that follows like that tracks with where she'd been is like why should I have to talk to anyone? Like I've yeah. never had to talk to anyone before, and it's not even a why should I have to talk to anyone. It's just I'm just doing what I've been doing. Yeah, and it didn't even like register. Yeah, but for Celine who was all but begging Talia to not take the deal with the broker, this was just another. Yeah piece of evidence that Talia doesn't really listen to me or care what I think or feel. Yeah. Yeah. But at the core of it, I think that Celine has a really complicated relationship with the notion of fear. And 
it's really hard for her to admit that she's scared. Right. Because she has spent her life since her parents died with this proclamation of being unafraid. And a lot of that is because she has looked literal death in the face and said, I'm not afraid of you. Yeah. And this was, I think, also a moment, kind of a turning point for Celine, too, where she had been doing what she'd been doing for as long as she had. Mm. Uh, So she's 22 when the story starts. So... And she was seven when her parents died. So she's been doing the same thing for 15 years. It's just refusing to be afraid. And it's really hard for her, at least at this point in the story, and still at, as we are at the end of season two right now, to really admit when she's feeling fear or even register when she's feeling fear. Mm-hmm. And so at the core of it, I think Celine was afraid. and But didn't really have the tools to articulate that. And I think that's something that she's going to struggle with for quite some time, which will be interesting to see how she learns to deal with the notion of fear mm-hmm. so, yeah yeah and getting into the can farms we get to get a bit more sense of what celine's life was like before she saw the saw the undertaker for the first time it was also interesting because at this point while we were playing like celine was still at a fairly conceptual level uh-huh. but one thing that i had built into her to be both uh, complementary and opposite of Talia is her relationship with time mm-hmm. and how Talia is very oriented on the past and yeah. things that have happened to her in the past, whereas Celine is very oriented toward the future. And both of those both of those notions being kind of over-focused on either polarity can be... They can be a problem. Dysfunctional. Just, yeah. They can be dysfunctional. And Celine with her relationship toward the future and as she says the past is dead and buried don't exhume it it's also a way for her to just not really deal with it not deal with it and not take responsibility for the trauma she did sustain from her parents dying Mm -hmm. and so when she gets to talk to milan i think a lot of that that she had kind of pushed down or just not even consciously but it i think she realized that she was a child when her parents died and she's never really given her parents much thought because she as soon as it happened she had the undertaker and he became her surrogate parent like in her like psychologically like it was okay they were dead but they're okay they're with the undertaker by the way the undertaker's my dad (laughs) (laughs) and i'm sure that never went over very well at the church of the mother yeah because i I remember we had talked how like up to that point, we had never really talked about, like, how the afterlife worked. Mm-hmm. And Celine, like, also wasn't even really sure at that point. Like, right. And she had this very, like, I'm not going to ask about it because it's not for me to know. Yeah, but then she was able to actually talk to M- Milen and she said that we love you. Mm-hmm. So there was this idea of her being with, that Laurent was with her. Yeah. And that was interesting for me, too, because I got really emotional. Like, the tears you hear on the recording, that's me actually crying. Now, Chris cries all the damn time. I don't cry very much. I I am a wibbly mess. I am, if, like, in between the two of yeah, you. Yeah, if, if Talia is crying, I'm most likely crying. <laughs> if Celine is crying, Chris is probably crying. If something is happening, Chris is probably crying. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> No, no, it's, 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 that wasn't a, like, haha, you're crying. It's like, uh, that's, that's, that, that, yeah. That's just where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I'm just not a crier. I just, 
Except for a couple times. A couple of times. And this was one of them. This was the first one. And I remember, like, after that scene was done, it was like, wow, Celine actually had some sorrow about her parents dying, which is interesting. I didn't see her really. And I think some of that might have been also just fallout from everything that happened with Talia. But I think it was good for her to have that moment of realization of, like, I did lose my parents. Mm-hmm. And I can't get them back. And I can't even remember what Milan looks like or sounds like. And... Right. And also, um, at that point, my father had just passed away, like, a couple months prior. And so I think a lot of that was probably me also yeah. trying to contend with that. So. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was really good. And that was the first time that... And I was actually very worried about about that whole arc because of what a sour mood Celine was in the whole time. Because, you know, Talia was kind of just, just going about her business and... I was very concerned that the listeners would think, wow, Selena's being a real bitch. I don't think it came off that way. Mm-hmm. I think, like, between, like, tell, like, Selene raised legitimate concerns. Mm-hmm. And anybody who has been in a long-term relationship who has had a partner that, like, just kind of did shit and didn't really, like, involve them in something knows exactly how that feels. Or even a friendship. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. who, who somebody like doesn't really regard you as a factor in their life and like so those concerns were legitimate and a lot of people i saw were saying it's like no i know what celine's feeling i I side with her on this one yeah like so a lot of people were able to see that but it also felt really real like it felt like a couple fighting the other thing that this is the first time we kind of get a good look at is their age difference because at the beginning of the story, Talia is 30. Yep. And Celine is 22. Yep. And Celine, the way I play her, she has a very high wisdom score. And so the way that I try to make that manifest is that she acts a lot older than she actually is. Mm-hmm. That she acts more like someone who's 30. Yeah. But when you strip away that, she, well, it's not really like a facade. She's still much younger than Talia and her I mean her brain isn't done growing yet and in that fight Talia was very composed yeah and Celine was just I think it's a good illustration of how oh right she's 22 and I made her 22 intentionally because I remember being 22 I'm 33 right now I am well beyond I'm old and wise now (laughs) old and grizzled old and grizzled and 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 world weary now yes but I remember being 22 and it being a very strange time in my life because I still felt like a teenager but I was supposed to be a grown-up and nothing really felt right everybody talks about puberty being a weird time early 20s was way weirder for me I always I I remember always being told by the you know quote-unquote adults in our lives where it's just like when you get to your twenties, everything starts making sense. No. Nothing, I t- nothing makes let me, sense. Let me, let me tell you something. I'm, I'm 28. Things are just starting to make sense. Your brain doesn't yeah. stop developing until you're about between 26 and 28, and about 26 or 28 was when things finally started making sense for me. And so, Selena's a 22 year old. I wanted her to be in that awkward time where she's she's an she's an adult. <laughs> she can drink and fuck. <laughs> But she's also just, she's she's still just a baby. And it's been very interesting to 
play someone with that mindset, but it's also been a lot of fun to be to play with the expectation of this is someone wise beyond her years. Oh wait, she maybe she is wise beyond her her years, but she's still practically an infant. She's still twenty two. Yeah. And also that like kind of wise beyond her years. I think that also kind of like the, her background, the haunted, haunted one, one yeah. that also kind of plays into that. That she has seen things that other people haven't and will never until the day they die. Mm-hmm. Have, but at the same time, there's still so much that Celine has not experienced. Mm-hmm. And she's experienced relatively little. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was a, it was a good, I, I think it's a really great time in the story. I was very worried when we released it, like we're going to lose listeners because it's not fun adventure lesbians anymore. Now it's serious. And I think we all kind of at at some point. Whenever there's a serious moment, I kind of my butt kind of clenches. Like, are we going to lose people? I definitely had that feeling in the first season, where it's just like, okay, now the story is actually taking on serious tones, and it's no longer just us goofing off, yeah, and being badass, which is what, which oh, is what you signed up for, which is what originally you saw, you know, you started listening for. Now we're actually getting into the story parts, so there was always this like worry. That we were going to be, it's like, oh, are people going to see us as just like, you know, torture porn Ugh. or the like the tragedy porn? Yeah, no. That, and it's just like, you know, where every thing is like sad. And um, and I know in later seasons, we have stuff that kind of comes up where we have moments where things are sad. But I think we punctuate them also with fun. Yeah, I'd like to think we have a pretty good balance. I'd like to think so, too. But yeah. there's always that worry that's like you're you're putting your heart and your soul into everything. And it's happening for us on a very organic level where we're playing out the scenes and then we're, hit, you know, and moving from one thing to another. But everybody else is getting them episodically. So for us, it feels like a session, which for us because of our work schedules, we can do like 10 hour sessions mm-hmm. and spend the day doing this. Then that gets broken up into however many episodes. So for people, it can feel like the mood kind of stays in that like non, un, like one mood can kind of stay for a, a couple of episodes. So maybe like a month, but for us, that was a night. Yeah. yeah. So it's a worry. It's something we are concerned about. And hopefully, you know, I'd like to think the story is good enough that people will just kind of stick with us. Because I don't because I promise we're also aware of like, OK, we need to make sure that they don't stay in this mood. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Because like that. That's going to get boring real quick. That's going to get boring really fast. Really fast. And we've actually as we are we've been playing now when that horrible phrase comes up. This is what my character would do. A lot of us has have adopted this kind of like pause the story, be like, okay, Chris, this is what I think Celine would do in this situation, but I don't want her to do that. Can you help me come up with something that is still true still to her character, yeah. but so she can get out of this place? And you've done the same thing, yeah. So, and I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good approach to. So you circumvent that. Well, it's what my character would do because God, that shit is. I mean, it's like we had in a, like in our previous campaign, which we're actually bringing those characters back for another game. Um, so you get to meet them. But I had one of my character originally I had wrote, I had written Molly. This is Molly's first introduction to me. Here's my 20 page um, backstory. 22 page backstory. 22 page backstory for this character after doing like a, a few days of research. Yeah. Here you go. I'm sorry. No. So- <laughs> 
I I ate that up so fucking quickly, and I was just like, oh my god. Effort. Effort. I love them. Yeah. So, like, but one of the traits that that character had was they do not like to be touched, and they uh-huh. will avoid being touched at all costs. That was before we started playing. Once we got into playing, they still didn't necessarily like uh, like people just casually touching them. But the constant do not touch me gets really fucking old quickly. Yeah. It gets boring. It gets like, okay, we get it. You're you're edgy. Like we get it. You don't like being touched. Uh-huh. It's boring. It doesn't move it doesn't move the story very well. It's everybody stop. I have an issue. Mm-hmm. Don't touch me. But yeah. it, but you dropped that pretty quick. I dropped that pretty quick. I didn't. There was a couple of times where in a one of the PCs or one of the care one of the NPCs with like you know cat like I think one of the players at the very beginning like put their arm around my character and my and my character immediately like ducked underneath the arm and then make it very like, fucking nope. clear under no circumstances are you going to touch me. I'm gonna nope right out of this. Yeah. But other than that, for the majority of it, as they got more comfortable. It it became so boring to have them constantly, like... And I think it was actually as you became more comfortable, like, with the character and the story that we were telling as well. When you yeah. start, when you, when you create a new character, you kind of have to put up these concepts of, like, here's something they habitually do, and you take or leave them as they work or don't work. So that was just and, another thing that yeah. didn't work. And characters evolve, like, we'll get into a little bit more... Actually, it doesn't doesn't really quite happen so much in season two. We'll have to save it for season three. But mm. how mm. how Jareth kind of mm, yeah. how he develops? Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. So there's there's always this like give and take with characters, and even though that's like this is what my character would do, we're kind of aware. We're all pretty good storytellers that we can be like, okay, this concept doesn't work, but this concept does. Mm-hmm. It's a constant balancing act, though, of like what my character would do versus what's going to be entertaining. Right. Yeah. And we have kind of had to learn to navigate that balancing act, and I think we're doing okay. Yeah. I think we're okay. I don't and know. You guys will be the judge. It's definitely... Y'all are it, still here, so, <laughs> you know. It's definitely an interesting aspect of this being a podcast, and we have to, like, consider what is actually going to be entertaining for our audience as opposed to just... What's entertaining for us. Yeah. I mean, I have... Uh, it's it's I, I wonder, I mean, if anybody else that listen, that has podcasts uh, that is, happens to be listening to this, I would be curious where other people draw the line. Like, are other people literally... I mean, here's the thing is, like, all three of us are storytellers, and I mean mm-hmm. that in the very literal sense. Two of us are literally film editors. Yep. That is our job. And, like, our job is to tell a story. And Megzi is, like, ridiculously good at storytelling. So it's like... All I'm three pretty of, good about story analysis. Yeah, all three of us are coming at this specifically with a storytelling aspect to ourselves. And... I, I I wonder other podcasts do the same. I know for a fact some of the bigger ones don't. They just kind of let it roll. And, the, you know, the, the DM is essentially the one driving the story mm-hmm. for the most part as far as, like, what the content is. Um, but I wonder, like, if other podcasts do what we do. Because yeah, we are very, very conscious. We are all three storytellers. And with my, like, very improv and flowy DM style it works really well to have three essentially storytellers at the table because we can all plug into the narrative and drive it forward each individually, but together as well. Right. And I think that makes us fairly unique. Mm-hmm. I would I would be curious to see if other podcasts are, 
are going about it like that. Like they're looking at this as a form of entertainment, not just as a as a game that they're playing that they thought they would record. Yeah. Um, I'd be curious. I know there are a few that don't, uh, which is fine. And I know that there are a few that take a more cinematic approach to things. Mm-hmm. Um, but and those are actually some of my absolute fucking favorites. But, um, you know, Dark Dice, please acknowledge me. I love mm-hmm. you. Please, <laughs> Senpai, notice me. Um, <laughs> Dark Dice, I love you. Anyway, but it's, it, I'd be curious to see, like, where people's mind frame is when it comes to these actual games. We'll finish our thoughts in part two. Thanks for listening to our thoughts about season one. The Feywild West season three will premiere on October 5th for our patrons and October 7th for the public. In the meantime, head over to all of our social media pages to see all the fun things we'll have as extras for August and September. If you ever want to chat with us and some other really amazing people, join us on Discord. We have a memes chat and everything. Stay legendary. Thank you.